0: Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control Volquest dot com podcast. Our season rewind of the 2019 season continues again. You can check out Blue Water Climate Control at Blue Water Climate dot com, and you can check them out at Blue H uh, two O underscore Climate if you want to check them out on Twitter. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Let's talk about this next game in the series that, uh, that we're doing here. That's the Tennessee Georgia game. Uh, Tennessee coming off Jesse that. Uh, Florida loss, which was just ugly and uncompetitive. And they have uh, this meeting afterwards. And then here Tennessee comes out to play Georgia. And they find themselves in in the lead in this football game in the first half. Why did it go so well for Tennessee, you think, to start this game?
1: Well, you know, and I wrote this after the fact, that not all lopsided losses are equal. And and the the biggest thing is that Tennessee – Showed that they had some life that they didn't lay down, and, and while ultimately the scoreboard uh, was not completely indicative of their performance at the end, they were feisty and they were feisty mainly for the first thirty minutes. Now the third quarter is ugly. You you rewatch. This is an ugly third quarter. Um, the score probably could have been worse when you, when you look at the fact that Tennessee got so many stops in the red zone, uh, but you know Mauer hits the 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 bomb pass and. You know, I mean, you guys can speak to this. That was probably the loudest Neyland's been, I think, since 2016, when that when that pass uh, to Callaway had the touchdown. I mean, Neyland exploded. The fact that there was that many fans in the stadium to begin with, you know, the, this fan base continued to support this program uh, with such vigor, you know, that they go crazy. You get a couple uh, stops again um, where Georgia's kicking field goals, and you get another touchdown on the seed to, to Jawan. Um, the team showed life and, and, you know, that was when I think a lot of folks fell in love with Mauer. You go to the third quarter and you see some of the problems when Georgia adjusts a little bit and starts playing much more man coverage. Um, but it was interesting in the moment and then rewatching it again, that knowing what we know, obviously how it plays out also what happened just two weeks prior that the team wasn't completely dead, you know, and I joked about the Miracle Max deal in my, uh, piece afterwards, but you know, there is a difference between being almost dead and totally dead. And they were they were not completely lifeless, which then the reason they weren't, we saw what happened the rest of the season. You know, Austin, it's it's
0: easy to fall in love if you're a Tennessee fan with Brian Maurer for the first, you know, twenty minutes of this football game. I mean, you know, you look at the last two minutes of the first half for Tennessee was really a was really bad. That's where the game got away from. They weren't gonna upset Georgia, but you know, that game, the score at the half should have been a different score. But for a quarter and a half or so of football, everybody's like, okay, this is the Jim Cheney offense. Here's what's supposed to happen. It's very easy to fall in love with Brian Maurer when he rewatched the first half of that game. Well, sure. I mean, I think everybody fell in love, as Jesse said, with the deep ball
2: to Callaway. He throws a seed to Jawan on the se- on the second touchdown. But you also go back to the to some throws he made on that second touchdown drive. He threw off the back foot a couple of times. One time he threw one uh, kind of a little jump ball over there uh, to the left, to Callaway, um, you know, it showed you – know, Again, he's a, true fre- he's a true freshman. So, I mean, he he's going to have some mistakes. He's going to have some bad mechanics. Um, but, like, you know, again, people at that point looking for anything coming off of the losses to, to Georgia State and BYU, you know, just gravitated towards it. And he had high-fived everybody on the ball walk and got them all feeling good. Um, You know, but then he takes that shot late in the game, you know, and I think that rattled him. You know, I don't think he would ever admit that, but I think that that really, really spooked him a good bit because, you know, there's a difference between getting hit in high school and getting hit the way he got hit late in that game uh, when he basically got Goldberg speared, uh, you know, into next week. So, um, you know, Tennessee at this game showed the signs of life, as Jesse talked about, but Brent, it also goes back to me, to just show how, you know, how far Tennessee still has to go to be on that level, to be on that level of Alabama, to be on that level of Georgia. Because Georgia, while you know, ended up leading by, you know, twelve at halftime. And, you know, you can debate how the last the last couple of minutes just showed, hey, when, when Georgia gets an opportunity, they take advantage of it. You know, and and they also made things look easy for a good portion of the of the game. When they needed something, they truly could get it, whereas Tennessee seemed like they had to play perfect football to stay in the game with Georgia.
1: Yeah, I mean, really spinning this forward, I, that's a great point, AP, because when you spin this forward for 2020, the, probably the biggest concern when you re-watch this game is Tennessee's inability to pressure the quarterback unless they're sending an edge rusher, I mean, a bl- an extra blitzer. Right. You know, when they're just rushing four or even rushing five, uh, they Fromm had all day to throw in this game. And, and even though Georgia wasn't ripping off long runs, um, they were steadily gaining six, five, six, seven, eight yards a pop, uh, that fourth and one stop notwithstanding. Um, so while the, the defensive line the week prior when we, when we re- reviewed the Florida game, you, you saw some of the, the promise that they showed the rest of the season. This game, you know – who is gonna who's who's gonna get the who's gonna get to the quarterback for Tennessee in 2020? This game shows you DT was kind of a, an invisible man in this game. Kevon Bennett hardly played. Um, you know, Crouch, who we now think is gonna play a lot of inside uh, linebacker, was actually playing a lot of outside linebacker in this game. That that's one of the bigger concerns. You know, that, that big play that, that Fromm had to Swift uh, on the wheel route. I mean, that was a, a he had that was his fifth read. He had oh, enough he time I reads. He had all day. Five, five. I mean, and that's on a third down, and right. so that I think it can, is going to be one of the biggest question marks for Tennessee in 2020. Is who can get to the quarterback? I don't think there's any
0: doubt, which is why we've talked about in, in other podcasts. I think it was on a mailbag podcast. I contend it may be an inside linebacker that has the most sacks of of this defensive front because they're going to have to blitz the the you know a, a bunch, or it may be a shamburger or somebody coming off the edge. A couple of things that I, I did take away from this. I, I thought Wanya Morris, because he was playing against Georgia, I thought Wanye played particularly fast in this game. I thought it was for early in his career. He wasn't great, but I thought he had sh- he showed some real strides there. They're starting to get a little bit settled on the offensive line, which gives you some positives moving forward into next year with, with Cade Mays likely to be eligible, but provided they, they pass all of that in May. So there's some positives there. Great appreciation for Jawan Jennings um, just because he shows up every week to play. Here's the thing to me, back to the offense, before I get on on some defensive things that jumped out to me. Why did Brian Maurer not grow throughout the season based on the success he had in this game? I'm with you also. I think he got spooked, and then he got the injury. but But Brian Maurer against Indiana in the bowl game is heaving the ball up you know, into traffic and should have thrown a couple of picks. I wonder where Mauer – why Mauer didn't grow more from this game from a positive standpoint because of the success he had in the first half, Jesse. Or Austin, either one of you jump in. I, I, Jesse, I don't know what you
2: think, but I think when you couple that big hit against Georgia and then subsequently two weeks later, he gets throttled at Alabama early in that game. I, I think, again, I mean, I'm not questioning the kid's toughness at all. Maybe the first to say that. But I think when you're not used to being hit that way, the first one or two times it hits you, it could really rattle you. That don't mean you're not tough. It just means, like, you know, you, you, it takes a minute to shake off the cobwebs and kind of figure out what's going on. So, I mean, uh-huh. like, I think that that really – you know, back-to-back games, basically, because, you know, Against Mississippi State, you know, you know, it was JG, you know, rolling through the back part of that one. So, um, you know, I think it was back-to-back games pretty much from our where he, you know, took massive hits. I,
1: I think I think that's an element. I also think that there was kind of the combination of it was the perfect storm for his first start. That it's Jim Cheney going up against a defense that he's familiar with, uh, and, and so he's able to scheme up some early calls. That, that Maurer can just kind of throw freely. I um, mean, Maurer was just gunning it deep in the first half. I mean, he has five completions over 20 yards. JG didn't have that many in the first five, uh, four games combined. Um, but then again, the windows start closing in the third quarter of the second half. He doesn't complete a pass in the third quarter. He gets sacked three times, has an interception. Um, I just think it was kind of – it's almost like – in baseball you know when, when, a, when, when a rookie pitcher may go out there for a couple first starts and he's just mowing guys down because the, 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 the batters aren't used to his his wind up or, or, or kind of seeing the ball out of his hand but then once there's more video on film and some familiarity there the tapes out I think that ultimately happened to Brian now can he take the next step uh we'll see but but because he took those two hits And because I think it was kind of the perfect storm in terms of who he was going up against at the beginning, it worked out in his favor for that game because he never looked the same after after the after a couple of those home run passes.
2: I'll say this: Brent brought up Jawan a minute ago, and I thought the 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 play that symbolizes Jawan, and to me, symbolizes why I do think he can, you know, be a factor in the in the NFL, and that's something you guys are going to talk about in your NFL draft preview coming up tomorrow. Is the play late in the first half, Georgia has just went up twenty to fourteen. He finds Callaway on a pass, then he finds Jawan on this little out. Jawan, who again is not a burner, but he takes it, cuts it all the way back inside, carries like fourteen guys with him. I mean, like that to me was a perfect play that describes Jawan as a player, and that's against a a fast Georgia defense. So I mean, like if you can do that against that defense, to me you can do that at the NFL level. Or the spacing, in my opinion, sometimes is a lot better.
1: Well, my and my, and my last thought offensively, last two thoughts offensively, spinning this forward, um, <clears throat> another example in this game of, of this Tennessee's inability to play complementary football against good teams. You know, it, it happened against Florida. It happened, you know, even or even solid teams. I mean, it, it happened against BYU. If, if Jarrett could have completed a couple passes when they're running for a 1,000 yards, I think we agree they probably win that game. In this game, Mauer has 205 yards in the first half, but Tennessee can't run the Good ball runner. at all. They, they finished the game with 50 yards rushing. 40 of those came on the final garbage-time drive right. Right. when they right. get stopped late. And, and Eric Gray has one carry in the first half. You know, they, they just they have got to figure out this fall. It's not necessarily balanced in terms of 50-50, but it's just, it's just both kind of – uh, elements helping each other. And that does not happen against these better teams in this season. And for Tennessee to take a leap in the 2020, it, it better happen.
0: Well, and they've got to find some way to, to get complimentary, to play complementary football because you think they're going to be able to run it, but who's going to catch it? A year ago, it was the strength was the wide receivers. Can we get enough complementary play in the run game? The question now is can they get enough complimentary play in the passing game when you talk about losing – Jennings, you're losing Callaway. I mean, you, know, you go back to the first part of, the, of this season and in this game. I mean, Josh Palmer's a non-factor. Now, he came on later in the year and made some plays. You know, Missouri, obviously a big game for him, as we'll talk about in several weeks. But he's not a factor early in the season in, in this offense. So, what do they look like in the passing game moving forward, I think, is a big question. Looking over on the defensive side, you talked about the fact they couldn't get a pass rush. Huge question. I still think you go back and look. The safety concerns remain for me with this football team. Nigel played. Nigel played better in this game. You can start to see him coming about. But but the the combination of trying to figure out what to do with Flowers and what to do with with Theo Jackson on the other side was a struggle. They had a hard time. I thought again at the safety position. Didn't think Angles were great, Jesse. Didn't didn't you know? Thought they were out of position. They busted some stuff. That's got to be a question mark you wanted to answer this spring that you can't get the answer to because there's no spring practice. Moving forward, for me, that's a big answer. That's a big question, what they do at that safety spot. I like McCullough, but he's not the most experienced guy in the world back there yet either.
1: No, and this was we, – we see it again in the Alabama game in a couple of weeks. This was a game where Tennessee they, – they were behind the chains, it seemed like, every time defensively. Uh, on first and second down. You know, Georgia had a ton of manageable third downs. Um, and when you're not getting pressure off the edge and you have some question marks in the back end, that's that's why it's hard to get stops and you get up 600 yards. So,
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the other thing, too, is, again, no pressure, which puts them – no pressure up front. Austin puts a, a real pressure on your corners. I, it, it's, it's taken me three weeks to kind of rewatch it bryce thompson's suspension and slow roll back into the season it took him a while to get back up to speed you know he he had he had a hard time in the florida game coming back in and i didn't think he played particularly well in in this game against georgia from a coverage standpoint no i mean he had a couple of moments Mm -hmm.
2: um you know he he had a play down near the goal line where he batted the ball away um you know, but it, I think, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was the one that got lost on the wheel route to uh, – yeah, to Swift. You know, to Swift. Um, uh, so, who, by the way, I think is going to be a better pro than he was a college player. I, he, he just sets up to be one of those to me. I mean, he, he was good in college. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he was really good. But I think he could be a guy that, you know, ends up being really, really good uh, at the next level, uh, just with his running style. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Bryce Thompson – Daniel Batuli. I mean, you look at a couple of guys that, you know, missed those first couple of weeks. And, you know, I mean, that's rough. I mean, because, I mean, realistically, it's kind of like Trey. When you look at three members of this football team, Trey and then, and then the two defensive guys, Batuli and Bryce Thompson, realistically, it took them to October to kind of get into playing shape or or, you know, have a comfort level out there on the field. I mean, that's both sides of the ball with three big names on your football team. That's a, that's a big blow. And then when you take out Emmett Gooden, I'm not saying that that's a reason why Tennessee should have lost to Georgia State or BYU because it's not. But I do think that it hurt the, and stunned
1: the growth of this team early on. And that's something that all these programs possibly could be combating depending on yeah. when the season comes back in 2020 because there's just not going to have been the time to, to get ready. Oh, no question.
0: Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to see a shift in this football team. Part of that's a little bit of competition. Part of that's this team learning how to win, young guys improving, playing better complementary football. As you kind of look back on this this ugly start, this un, you know uncompetitive, and Tennessee was competitive in the first half against Georgia, how impressed are you with the fact that this they held this thing together? And I don't just mean Jeremy Pruitt. I mean the program kinda held it together. As we as you've rewatched the last five weeks and I watched this game again, I, I understand the notion of one and six and why that was so prevalent out there. As you think about it moving forward, how impressed are you with that these guys kinda held together? As Jesse said earlier, Austin, there's a difference between being almost dead and being dead in, in your football season. This team was on life support in, in a lot of ways and, and they came out on the other end. Pretty impressed with the way this team got through the ugliness of the first fourth or third of the season. Yeah, I mean this was the one that you know I would call this the
2: defibrillator game because I mean to me like you had you had hemorrhaged, you had you know flatlined, and then this game through the deep ball to to, to Callaway, even though Mauer would play a very little a very small role in Tennessee's success, you know with several of those wins. Later on, I thought his play in that first half, you know, you know, it was defibs, boom, you know, and it woke him up a little bit, you know, boom, and it woke him up a little bit. The game ends up, you know, being a runaway by Georgia late, but to me, it gave him a pulse. And then you you started to mend more the following week against Mississippi State, and then Alabama, and then and then took off from there. So to me, this was you know to, to. Continue the medical theme. I'm going to call this the D-Fib game because I do think this is kind of where Tennessee got a jolt and, and kind of got restarted.
1: Well, this- I mean, the, 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 it's, it's next week where they, where they officially, I think, are taking off life support because it's, you know, we joked at the time it was the Bush Jones orphans that kind of saved the day uh, against Mississippi State. And you lose that game, then I do think the season probably comes off you know, it, it runs off the track, but they win that game, and suddenly there's at least a, a plausible path to finishing strong after the Alabama game, which is exactly what they did because the schedule set itself up for such. Yeah,
0: again, not a lot of positives ultimately, but when you look at it, probably more positives out of this game uh, than, than what, what seemingly was the case at the time.
1: Yeah, and just one final, just kind of like random thought. I wrote this down in the notes on the on the rewatch, you know, spinning it forward. We've discussed different O-line possibilities, you know, how it could play out. Cade got a lot of reps in this game as an extra tackle, almost playing like the, a big tight end uh, for a bunch of different snaps. You know, again, that could be a role for him if he does not – if he, if he is – if Carvin beats him out or they decide to go right and Calvert, at right, you know, on the right side, there are still ways for, for to get, you know, one of these extra offensive linemen involved because Tennessee does not have an obvious number two tight end. So, just wrote it down. Obviously, he did that for Georgia, but I could see that being a role that he plays or someone plays on Tennessee's offense here in 2020.
0: Yeah, I think there's no question Jim Chaney's going to like a, a jumbo package to help this team run the football and to help this team, you know, manage some things up front without the extra tight end because they were such a too tight end heavy team a year ago, and, and I think Jim Chaney clearly likes that. Next week, things start to get better for this football team. We'll talk about some of those positives, but, again, some 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 things coming out of this game that you can learn from about this team and, and some things to look at moving forward. But that's going to do it for this rewind edition of the Georgia game. I want to thank our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control, for their continued support of the podcast. And I want to remind you about their Smooth Sailing Service Plan. They offer their clients seasonal inspections, repair discounts, and annual tune-ups for one low annual price, our low automatic monthly payment price uh, included in that. You never have to pay overtime fees for those weekends or uh, after-hour emergencies. They have a loyalty plan you can find out about, uh, annual diagnostic testing that includes your duct work, 10% off parts and labor for any repair that you have. Call them today and ask them about their smooth sailing service plan. You can call Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290. Don't forget to mention VolQuest to them. And, again, that's Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out on Twitter, at Blue. H2O underscore climate or check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Don't forget coming up Friday, it's the VolQuest.com mailbag podcast. And then next week, we'll continue with our Rocky Top Rewind edition, looking back at some great games. But that's going to do it for this Wednesday installment of the podcast. For Jesse Simonton and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.